Hello, and welcome to Judge a Book by Its Cover, temporarily known as Judge a Film by Its Poster, a Little City Library podcast. I'm Bullet. And I'm Pete. We're librarians at the Mary Riley Styles Public Library in the city of Falls Church, and this is now our film review podcast, where we attempt to predict what a film is about based on the movie poster. Today's film is Ganjin Hess, directed by Bill Gunn. We were originally going to talk about Lavender Hill Mob today, but given what's going on in America right now, we thought it was important to shine a spotlight on some of the underrepresented voices in cinema. We posted a photo of the poster on our Instagram page at Little City Library for you to check out so you can judge right along with us. So Pete, based on today's poster, what did you guess Ganja and Hess to be about? So it's the silhouettes of a black man and woman against a colorful, wavy, psychedelic background. The man is holding a stake it looks like, the point of which is covered in blood. Floating in the top right corner is a red upside-down cross. On the bottom of the poster, there's some lush jungle vegetation and a flower growing. This poster makes me think of some sort of cult transpiring in the late 60s, early 70s. Perhaps the cult meets in a jungle and involves some sort of human sacrifice in a satanic ritual, as evidenced by the upside-down cross. So it made me think of the Jonestown Massacre, so I thought it might be like a fiction version of that kind of scenario. Interesting. Okay. I kind of thought we might get some same vibes from this, but actually it seems like we're on two different paths. I got Garden of Eden vibes from the cover today, but like a twisted Garden of Eden, perhaps where man is betrayed and lashes out and the bloody knife he's holding made me think there's going to be violence, of course. And the hallucinogenic colors all around the two silhouettes made me think we're in for some kind of mind-bending story and that perhaps someone isn't in their right mind, especially because in those psychedelic colors, the blue kind of gets inside of one of their heads. It kind of colors over them. That's a really cool idea, Bled. As usual, you have a much deeper visual processing acumen than me. You sound like an art history major and... I took one art um, history class in college. Thank you. All right, Blade, do you want to tell us what this film was actually about? Ganja and Hess is a 1973 experimental horror film written and directed by Bill Gunn and starring Marlene Clark and Dwayne Jones. The film opens with a description of pretty much the first 20 minutes. They mention a cursed dagger and that if you are stabbed three times by this dagger, representing the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you become addicted to blood. Right, and this is an artifact from the Murthian Empire, which is a kind of supernatural mythological African Empire the past. Yes. And we have Dr. Hess Green, who brought in a new assistant, played by actually the director, Gunn. And he's stabbed by this assistant with this dagger and is cursed to seek blood. Later in the story, Ganja shows up and she's actually the assistant's wife. She learns Green's dark secret through a variety of odd interactions. Yes. Odd is the word. I actually had to look up a plot synopsis even after after I watched this film because I was thoroughly confused, but it's a really visually striking film. And I think that the director may have intended it to be kind of like unsettling and maybe even confusing as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, you mentioned some of the characters, the main character being Dr. Hess Green, who is this wealthy 
anthropologist and geologist who lives in a predominantly white suburb in a mansion, drives a Rolls Royce and has a black servant. And his assistant who comes to the mansion is George Maida, who, as Bolette mentioned, is the director of the film, though he exits early as an actor. And then his wife comes to investigate, basically, and she is Ganja, Ganja Maida, who becomes, after the death of Maida, the wife of Hess Green. And so we have Ganja and Hess. The butler of Hess Green is Archie. And then there's one other character who plays sort of considerable role would be the Reverend Luther Williams, who we see in the beginning in the church singing and then driving Hess's Rolls Royce as a chauffeur. And then we see at the end in a sort of um, climactic scene in a church. And it's a pretty graphic film in a few different ways. It touches on issues of murder, suicide, violence, sexuality. And I think it does it well, but just a warning. Yeah, there's a fair amount of blood. It is early 70s blood, so it's kind of tame by our standards. But there are a lot of shocking scenes and ritual murder mixed with lovemaking. In the same way, the movie is a strange mixture of themes. You know, you mentioned some of them, Bolette, and we talked about how there's mythology and anthropology and African culture and African-American culture. There's also some philosophy and and obviously discussion of race Mm -hmm. and religion and also themes of madness and suicide as after stabbing Hess, George Maida, the assistant, takes his own life with a gun. Before he does that, at the 20 minute mark in the film, Maida has a really interesting soliloquy in which starts, to the black male children, philosophy is a prison. It disregards the uncustomary things about you. That soliloquy was really striking to me. Do you remember that part, Bolette? I do, and there are a couple of lines specifically that stuck out to me. One in particular was that there is a dreadful need in man to teach. It destroys the pure instinct to learn. Yeah, so recommend checking out that soliloquy, which is at the 20, I think it's 2007 film. Were there any other quotes that you enjoyed from the film? There is actually one other speech I did like, and I don't have any direct quotes from it, but Ganja's speech about being a disease to her mother, knowing that she was born after her parents intended to not have any more children. I thought that was a poetic speech where she decided if her mother saw her as a disease, then that's what she would be. And she would take care of herself from then on. And that is very much a core to her character. You can see it in a way that she thrives where others don't. Yeah, she is a really cool character. One of my favorite quotes of hers is actually when she's on the phone with Hess and he's, you know, explaining to her that the driver's going to pick her up and how is he going to recognize her at the airport? And she says, the driver can't miss me because I'm that evil. Another quote that I enjoyed happens towards the end, actually, at the marriage ceremony of of Ganja and Hess, and it's Hess saying, I will persist and survive without God's or society's sanction. And I thought that was really cool, and it sort of gave me a new understanding of one of the messages of the film and setting up this sort of African empire that's persisting to the present day and is immortal in opposition to a lot of the Christian and Western imagery in the film. So it's kind of like their love and their rituals are an alternative 
alternative and something that will continue to live even in the West. So I thought that was a pretty cool quote. That is a really cool quote. And, you know, you mentioned the religious and Western imagery that they use. They do it a lot with art or statues in shots where you'll have somebody walking past or driving past a statue and they'll frame the shot really nice so you get this beautiful visual aspect playing on the emotion of the scene with the art. And it really hammers home emotion in an interesting way most of the time. Sometimes it's a little hammy, but most of the time it's pretty cool. Yeah, I noticed that as well. And actually I was reading up on this and I found this old blog post from a blog called Not Coming to a Theater Near You, which is a great name for a blog. Fantastic. And it talked about all the art and it's mostly Western art. It's a lot of Greek busts, kind of like white marble torsos and naked bodies that we're used to seeing in Greek ruins. And this again contrasts with the African heritage that we see in these sort of dreamy, I guess they're kind of like hallucinations that Dr. Hess Green has of an African woman in like a headdress and African garb being followed by this child through this tall grass while this sort of African chanting children's choir is heard in the background. And I also mentioned, I think in the beginning, you see that he's living in this all white neighborhood and he's got the sort of trappings of conventional wealth. So it's sort of a contrast. And that contrast is also brought about with the arrival of Ganja because she immediately takes a disliking to Archie, the servant. There's one scene in particular where they're sitting at the breakfast table and she's repeatedly asking for grits and he just doesn't know what it is and she just keeps repeating it and making this point. Yeah, well, and then just following that scene when they come back from the grocery store, she lets the door slam in his face while he's carrying all the groceries. She expects him to help her out of the car. The interactions between characters are interesting, especially because our main character is pretty stoic most of the time. But I think he's going through so much and fighting with different aspects of desire and trying to fight this new desire and this new addiction to blood. We get to a certain point in the film and you can tell Ganja and Hess are kind of making each other happy. And at that point, you know how it's going to end. Something terrible is going to happen. There's no happy ending in store here. But it actually really surprised me by which direction it went. I had this image in my mind of Hess on his knees screaming up at the sky kind of thing. And it's a movie where you can't predict how it's going to end. Absolutely. And I actually didn't even have a sense of foreboding. Really? To me, yeah. it was like, really, it was like, oh, nothing good can happen. It's true. They do get together sort of early in the film and there's a lot, but I thought they were just going to happily eat their way through the city. Um, <laughs> but that's not what happens. So that's know. interesting that we both got such different vibes from it. Maybe it just goes to show you're an optimist and I'm a pessimist. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, and I think it just goes to show how many different kinds of thoughts this film can create, which is another reason to recommend it. Yeah, definitely. There was one other thing that I wanted to mention that I found just doing some research. I found an article from The Village Voice that came out around the time that this was uh, re-released. And it talked about how Bill Gunn, the director, created this film. When the producers and the production company saw it, they were just horrified because they just didn't see how it was going to be marketable because it wasn't anything like the black exploitation films such as Blackula that they thought they were going to get. You know, this is like an experimental film which is not easily digested by lots of people. And so they cut a lot of the film out and they just left scenes of sex and violence, basically. Bill Gunn asked to have his name removed from the film. So when Kino Lorber decided to re-release the film, they released the original version. They didn't make any changes to it. And this Village Voice article points out that one of the early shots in the film, you can actually see a hair on the screen but obviously now with all the digital wizardry
wizardry and Photoshop and everything, that's something they could easily take out. But this article was saying that they purposely left it in to say, like, we're not going to mess with anything. We are going to leave this purely to what the director's vision was. And so I thought that was pretty cool. That is really cool. It is kind of nice that they just left it alone for everyone to see as he meant it to be seen. Would you recommend this film? Did you enjoy it, Bullet? That's a tough question. I think it was an extremely interesting film, not something I would have picked to watch on my own. And in that way, I think it's valuable. I'm glad I watched it, but it's a hard film to recommend unless you really know what somebody's looking for in a film. What about you? Yeah, I agree with that. I would say I'd recommend it to somebody who's in the mood for like a very difficult viewing of something that's really going to make them think and not in a way that they're used to thinking about things. I like this film and it's the kind of film that really improved upon reading about it and seeing what people said about it. And I think it's always cool to watch films that were flops to the extent that people who paid for them were so upset with how it turned out that they just chopped 30 minutes out of it. And it's like, why did they feel the need to do that? This must have been something really different. And it really was. I haven't seen a film like this. So I I would recommend it if you're in the mood for a really different kind of cinematic experience. And I think it's really cool that it's available on Canopy. Yeah, yeah, it's a messy film, but I think it's meant to be messy. And that part of the storytelling is fighting through this mess that's meant to be disjointed. And then that's part of the reward of watching it. Yeah, it is rewarding. And we'll include some of the links to the articles that we are discussing today. So who do you think got closer today, Pete? You definitely took this one and it's not even close. I think the Adam and Eve picture that you laid out is pretty right on, except it's kind of like the reverse where it is, yeah. Adam is giving the apple of knowledge to Eve and not vice versa. But it's definitely a love story. And my picture of a death cult doesn't really do justice to that. So for the simple Actually, fact... the opposite. They live forever. <laughs> yes, right. So yeah, you totally won month bullet. It's fine. I needed one clean win. So now that I've got this, I can rest on my laurels. Indeed you can. Until (laughs) next month. Before we tune out, we want to give special thanks to the band Zombie Zombie for giving us permission to use their song Psychic Harmonia 2 in our intro and outro. You'll hear that catchy tune in just a moment. But for now, thanks for joining us for Judge a Film by its poster, a Little City Library podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Bullet. Don't forget to join us next month when we judge Lavender Hill Mob. In the meantime, for what it's worth, you have our permission to keep on judging. (laughs) 